I'm Paul Toscano, and you're listening to Gospel Tangents. The best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to have Paul Toscano on the show. You may know him as he's one of the infamous September 6th that was excommunicated back in 1993. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but we're going to get more into temple symbolism and scriptural symbolism. So you won't want to miss this episode. Check it out. Welcome to Gospel Tangents. I'm excited to have an amazing guest. Could you go ahead and tell us who you are? I'm Paul Toscano. Uh, I'm a bankruptcy lawyer. <laughs> I've been in the bankruptcy law stuff for a long time, but I'm probably better known for being one of the September 6th. Oh, yeah. I was excommunicated uh, with the other five, uh, they called us intellectuals. I'm not sure that applies to me, <laughs> but um, that was in 1993, in September of 1993. So it's been a long time. And you're also the husband of one of my two-time guests. Oh, yes. Yes. Who is She had returned uh, interviewee of yours, Margaret Toscano. Yes. With whom uh, I wrote uh, back in 1990, we, we co-authored Strangers in Paradox, mm-hmm. which is uh, an exploration of Mormon theology. And we've been exploring Mormon theology ever since. And um, I've written a number of books. I mean, if you go to Amazon and put in Paul Toscano, or it'll come up with a page that has the books I've written and a few novels and um, some essays, books of essays about Mormonism, often critical of the leaders of the church. I, I was, I'm famous for being, uh, I, I once said to Dallin Oaks in a time I was meeting with him back in 1984, oh, wow. uh, uh, I was he was talking to me about the apostleship, and I was talking to him about it. He had just recently been called. And I said, well, I, you know, I really don't like the fact that you line up in order of seniority to go to the bathroom. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. You kind of, it seems to me uh, the seniority system is a good way to quash the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he says, oh, well, I don't know. He says, <laughs> I said, it's not that I think you're not apostles. I believe you're apostles. It's just that you're the worst apostles in the history of Christianity. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, he, he took it very well back then. He was, he was very open to criticism at one time. And, uh, and uh, I have reasons for saying this. I, uh, they have, uh, and maybe we'll, that's the principal reason I wrote this. I'll hold it up so you can see it. The Serpent and the Dove, I don't know it's coming through there. Okay, that's good, yeah. Um, I wrote that book uh, as uh, an analysis of the uh, t- uh, Mormon Temple Endowment. And I did it because I was, re- this was back in 2014. Okay, so you were out of the church by then. Oh, I, long, for a long time. Yeah. But I, I was reading on the internet lots of people who just hate the temple ceremony. And I realized as I was reading their complaints about the temple ceremony that they simply don't understand the symbolic nature of the ritual. And they see it as something apart from Christianity. So I wrote The Serpent and the Dove because I've always believed and believe now that it's a Christian sacrament, that it was intended to be a Christian sacrament. Now, I'm kind of a Mormon Christian agnostic. That is... um, I I can tell you what I believe the texts mean, and I can tell you what I think the endowment means. I'm not here to tell you whether or not it's true in the in the metaphysical sense, but as a literary man, um, because I got you know I got my bachelor's and master's degree in English literature, 
And then I went to law school. So I, I've had to learn to do close reading, uh, either of legal materials or back in school and as a, a literature. Uh, really quick, where did you get your bachelor's? All, all, and JD as well? I got everything at BYU. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wish I'd gone to Princeton or Harvard <laughs> or Yale. I'm not even sure I could have gotten into those schools. But I back in the 60s and early 70s, I think, Things were far more open at BYU intellectually. And um, I, I think I got a decent education. I think, it's, I think it's more related to a person's curiosity and their interest than it is in the name that's plastered on the school. I, okay. There are many people who've graduated from Yale that they should revoke their diplomas <laughs> because they're really morons with megaphones. <laughs> I can see them on the internet. <laughs> so why why did you name it the serpent and the dove? What, well, because what, I use the symbology of Christ as the serpent, or the feathered serpent, the serpent on the pole, okay, and Moses. And I I take it further. I think that he's the he's really the the symbol of Christ is the serpent. Uh, the uh, in the in the um, in the Garden of Eden, uh, the devil shows up using the symbol, the Christ symbol, to as a deceptive mechanism, because the, you know, in, in the Judeo-Christian literature, the, the devil is always trying to masquerade as an angel of light or Christ or some, something he's not in order to deceive. Hmm. And so, but the serpent is really uh, a Christ symbol, in my view, because uh, the, it sloughs uh, it its skin, which is a resurrection symbol, and it, um, it, it, it also uh, is death, it, both life and death. The, 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 the resurrection is symbolized in the sloughing of the skin, which the snake does. But it also, because it has fangs and is poisonous, it brings death. So, but, you know, it, it is the God that uh, punishes us with death for our sakes, he says. And then it's God who brings about the redemption from death. And so I see that is a apt symbol, and I think others see it as a symbol. The serpent. See, the I got dove. Uh, I see as the uh, the female aspect of Christ, which is the oh. Holy Ghost, and the dove uh, was always a symbol of the Mother Goddess, and the dove flying over his baptism, saying, "This is my beloved Son." I know we attributed that to the Father, but I suspect not. I suspect that it was the Mother, and. Uh, I suspect that the Holy Ghost, uh, I mean, I think it's Margaret Barker, who's a scholar, uh, who uh, people at, at the Maxwell Institute uh, love because she uh, does Old Testament studies and shows that, among other things, that the early Hebrews did worship not only a male but a female aspect of divinity. And I think Daniel Peterson is the one who has tied that worship to Asherah. Right. So, um, so I use the symbol of Christ, the Christ Jesus and Christ Sophia, as I call her, or Jesus and the Holy Spirit, uh, because I think that's what the temple is trying to tell us through symbology, is that this is the mystery of godliness, that the restoration, part of it, that the restoration was meant to, uh, revealed to the Latter-day Saints. Now, we've moved a million miles away from that in, in the church manuals and the church correlation department has moved away from that, but that is still 
it's it's still in the even when they've taken things out of the temple, it's still there, mm-hmm. and it's certainly in the Book of Mormon, um, and it's in the Book of Abraham. And I understand the historical problems with these scriptures, but that's true for all scriptures and all religions. Um, you can't prove them scientifically. You can't prove them archaeologically. You can't prove them historically. They're not meant to create certainty. Because if that's the last thing we need is more certainty <laughs> in the minds of powerful people so that they can impose their certainty on others. That's right. not what we need. So these are visionary texts. And the purpose of these texts is to promote a vision uh, of 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 the um, Godhead and of our relationship to God and the universe and nature and each other. And it's more in the nature of Myth is, myth is not about a false story. Myth is about telling us uh, deep things about our assumptions, our aspirations, our expectations, our predispositions, and the expectations that God has for us. And it, it's, uh, it's dialogical. Uh, um, you read a book of history, you close the book and say, oh, yeah, Lincoln was shot at Ford Theater. It's over. <laughs> But you read a myth, and you're you have to engage with the myth constantly. You have to it, it it speaks to you, and it speaks to you again as you get older. It speaks to you as your knowledge grows, as the island of your knowledge grows, the more it borders on the sea of the unknown. So you, as the more you know, the less you think you know, and the more questions you have. And the myth informs our questioning, and that's why these I think the sacred texts of Mormonism are in fact sacred texts. They, if you look at them as scientific treatises or historical absolutes, then of course you're going to have a crisis because that's not what they are. But if you see them as visionary texts, then they, they do make sense. So it sounds like you would, you're not concerned with either the Book of Mormon or the Bible being literally true. You're more like, what do they teach us? Is that right? I, I'm Yes. I wouldn't say it so starkly because I, I think the Bible is historically true in some aspects. Mm-hmm. There's poetry, there's history, there's legend, there's myth, there's lies. It's in there, all of it. And But it's essentially a visionary text. The New Testament is more historical than some aspects, I think, of the Old Testament. But there's history in the, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the more digging is done in the Middle East, the more they find things to show that the Bible isn't as far off as people thought in the ni- late 19th century. Uh, Boltman and others who I think were thinking that it's all legend, you know, right? mostly. I think it's, there's certainly an aspect of it that's that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's, it's an amalgamation of different things in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, I think we have um, St. Paul's epistles. Five of them are, everybody considers to be authentically written by him probably with his own whatever stylus or quill or whatever they use. Right. And um, uh, the uh, other letters of Paul, possibly written by his disciples, might might have been while he was alive. Others, you know, I don't, I'm not particularly a scholar of the New Testament, so I could answer that historical question. But I think they tell us things. They're the earliest Christian documents that we have. The Gospels come a little later Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John comes, you know, 40 years later. 
maybe 50. And I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke are trying to tell us, you know, what Jesus did and said. And I think John is a more thoughtful, reflective, takes a little time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's trying to tell us what Jesus meant and what Jesus not only meant, but meant to us. And so I think it's a different kind of structure as a, as literature. And, um, I think, uh, so I, I think, yes. And the book of Mormon, uh, it, it says it's a second witness and I'm willing to accept it as a second witness, uh, in, in, in a visionary sense, because it, you don't get vignettes of Jesus, you know, holding a child or forgiving a woman or talking to another woman at the well and scandalizing his apostles because he's flirting with her at the well and talking about buckets and dippers, which seems to have metaphorical significance. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> Either the apostles, they come back and they are scandalized by his talking to this woman. Right. Or you have a vignette of him, you know, at the Last Supper. These are all extraordinarily important vignettes. And you have his sermons. There's the Bread of Life sermon. There's the uh, the I'm the Light of the World sermon. You've got the his excoriating sermon to the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew 23. You have the Sermon on the Mount. But if you look at his sermons, they're really not theological expositions at all. They're not explanations. He's just dropping these uh, bombs of uh, symbolic, poetical statements, paradoxical sometimes. He that loses his life shall find it, that kind of thing. And and, uh, in in his... uh, intercessory prayer in John 17, you know, uh, that the, the glory that I've given me, I give to them that they, that they're in me and I in them and you're in me and you're in them and we're all one, but it, what <laughs> it, it does, it's not expository. It's not propositional. Now St. Paul's letters are much more propositional. He's got Greek training and he's talking to Greek. So he, he, it, he gives, uh, expositions of the gospel more, uh, training in some respects, but, uh, not Jesus. Jesus is, uh, more like cones, you know, these mystical sayings that you have to think about. Again, it's visionary. You have to engage with them. You just can't read it once and walk away. You have to, what, what did he mean by that? And how does that fit in this context? It, it calls you to participate in the religion more. Now, the Book of Mormon, and I want to get to that because I think that this is an important part of my, my ideas, uh, is that the Book of Mormon is more expository. You don't, get a, you don't meet Jesus in the Book of Mormon except right in Third Nephi yeah. where he comes down and there's an earthquake and what's that all about? And then... The, yeah, there are no one-on-one stories. It's all the, Jesus yes. before everybody. Yes, it, it, it's a second witness of Christ, but it's a second witness both in, I think, uh, here's the New Testament and here's the Book of Mormon in the sense of the vignettes of Jesus. But Jesus, the New Testament doesn't contain a lot of exposition either. St. Paul's expositions are in letters, so you don't really get both sides of the conversation. Sometimes he's addressing you wonder why he says women should not speak in church. Or Paul this, says. Yeah, St. Paul. And you think, well, does this mean any church everywhere in Turkey, in Spain, in Rome? Where? Uh, I'm sure that the Jewish women that were Jewish Christians weren't going to take that very seriously. <laughs> I can tell you right that now. 
<laughs> they're not going to say, well, uh, fine. And they're going to speak in church. And, uh, and so was it meant because there was a rule in that area that the, 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 the church, the congregation might get in trouble with local authorities if they realized that the women were getting out of it? We don't know. I don't know. Isn't that one of the letters that's disputed, authorship of Paul? It's possibly. I think, yeah. I think you, can, you can dispute certain parts of them because we certainly don't have the original manuscripts. Uh, right. People could have doctored them and they could have added other things and they could have interpolated um, sometimes the older versions of things are better than the uh, earlier ones because the the copies that came later were were better than some of them that are earlier. I mean, I've I've read about that. It's crazy. So yeah, we're not going to get. It's always going to be a blurry view. It's always going to have questions of the historical archaeological type. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Paul Toscano. In our next conversation, we'll talk about whether the Book of Mormon is Trinitarian. Paul says it is not. But, but at any rate, um, I also know, uh, you know, Don Bradley and, um, and Denver Snuffer have recently said, uh, have taken issue with this idea that, that the Book of Mormon is Trinitarian. Um, and that they they say that that if you look at the Book of Mormon, it, there's there's a lot of Godhead theology, and I believe that's your position as well. It is, and I had this position in the 1960s. Okay, I mean, I these guys are new. <laughs> I've been in trouble for this since the 60s. <laughs> On my mission, I got in trouble with it. Oh, wow. Thanks for listening to Gospel Tangents. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, please subscribe at patreon.com slash gospeltangents. You can hear the entire interviews there. Also, check out our new, improved, uh, user-friendly website at gospeltangents.com. We've made it much more user-friendly, so check that out. Click here to subscribe, here for a transcript, and over here we've got more of our great videos. Thanks again.